0: Welcome to Sex, Body, and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency, and on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do, and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Our next guest is Claudia Name Burt. She is the co-founder and CEO of Keep A Company, which is essentially a coaching company for employees and employers of executive women trying to have it all. Claudia gave birth to her first son and realized that pretty much all of us are in the same boat. When we get to a certain level professionally, we really start to struggle. Let's be honest, we juggle it all and we get it done. But what are the secrets of really, truly being ambitious in the workplace and being ambitious also at home? Welcome to the show, Claudia. And here we have the lovely Claudia. It's so good to have you on the show. And my first question to you is, as women, as women leaders, as women entrepreneurs, as mothers, as wives, girlfriends, daughters, pet owners, (laughs) we have a lot on our plate. And we go through all sorts of stages in life, things that happen with our bodies, our hormones, our mental capacity. And you've decided to take this into your own hands now and create a company that really helps women like me, who do have a lot on their plate and are executives and sometimes find it hard to cope. So Welcome to the show again, and tell us why you decided to create this company and a little bit more about the company.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me, Kate. I decided to do this because I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about how difficult it was for me as I had my kids. I have two boys, and I couldn't stop seeing it all around me in women that I loved and admired. And certainly, I have a grounding in the fact that I'm one of the lucky ones. I have a partner that is supportive. I have family that lives nearby. I have access to Amazon and all the things and all the apps. And it was still really, really hard to integrate caring for someone else into my life, into my work in a way that felt sustainable and that left room for me to be a person, a full person. Mm -hmm. And I have a business background. And so I craved deeply a strategy Mm -hmm. and I felt so survival mode, so reactive, so without the proper tools, my background had not equipped me for motherhood, I felt. And Mm -hmm. so my urgency was, okay, what would make this easier? If we stepped back and said what would success look like? What would a strategy be? What if I applied my MBA to motherhood? What would mm. that look like?
0: Applying an MBA to motherhood. I love yeah, that. Yeah,
1: like we we mm-hmm. have built these incredible skills in our careers mm. of strategy and resource allocation and relationship building and negotiation and we are not applying it to motherhood to ourselves to The integration of these things. And so, my question for moms, for dads, for caregivers, for people that care for someone else is what would a version of this that actually worked for you look like? Mm -hmm. And so, I started looking for tools. I started looking for services. I started looking for the doers, the people that were doing stuff in this space. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And so, really, Keep Company was born out of this desire that people, women in particular, mothers more specifically, should be in conscious choice about what is right for them. But we need support and skills mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And we deserve them. And mm-hmm. so I'm hoping to build that for more people. And yeah. for myself in the meantime, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what's the company called?
1: The company's called Keep Company. Mm -hmm. And it was born out of this idea that companies are desperate to keep their people right now, Mm -hmm. particularly diverse talent. So women, people of color who are disproportionately impacted by the challenges of integrating family and the demands of life into work. Mm -hmm. Many are leaving the workforce since the pandemic, many, many, many more. And so we give employers the resources to retain parents and caregivers at work by supporting those parents and caregivers Mm. throughout all of their lives. Mm -hmm. So if you really think about the
0: picture here, we've gone through, you know, two and a half years, and I think we've got another (laughs) at least year to go before we can say the pandemic has slowed down. It just seems to be speeding up again now. Where we've been at home, we've actually been at home, and I think a lot of us have rejoiced, That. But at the same time, you know, we were trying to get on the podcast today. My daughter comes in. This is not the right lunch. Uh, The dog's barking. The dog's barking, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, no, you've got to be absolutely silent. We're doing this podcast. Like, and you have young children. You know, I'm an 11 year old and it definitely gets easy. And I only have one, and you have two, and many other families have more children. And I can't possibly imagine how women do it all. You know, a successful executive, as you say, at the top of her game, she decides to have children. I put off children because I wanted to focus on my career. I had my daughter at 43 because I was so focused on having my career. And I actually remember going to my then boss and saying, listen, I'm pregnant. I apologized for the fact that I was pregnant. And I say it won't affect anything. And, you know, I sort of walked out the office thinking, why did I just say that? That is just preposterous that I have apologized for the fact that I'm bringing life into the world. But there is this stigma that's attached to us having babies, then, you know, breastfeeding in the workforce and juggling conference calls and Zoom calls in between feeding and caring for our family. So talk to us about that a little bit. Is that the general scenario of what is going on now? And and is it the number one reason that women drop out of the workforce?
1: Yeah, it's I mean, it's so complicated, right? Like the layers of this are so complex and so systemic and so individual, like, but there are certainly themes. And I would say part of what we hear is that women feel like they're failing. They're not doing enough at work. They feel enormous guilt at home and i read something that said women aren't failing they are being failed and i think as you share that example it strikes me that you felt the need to apologize and to say that and you kind of asked yourself why did i feel the need to do that and my answer to that is because the systems around you taught you that you should apologize for Mm -hmm. that the Mm -hmm. systems around you were designed for you to pretend like you don't have kids or parents or family members to take care of. Mm. And they were designed for people that had primary caregivers at home. That mm-hmm. is how work was designed. And mm-hmm. so we are expected to mother like we don't work and to work like we don't mother. Yeah. And by the way, it's not just taking care of kids. It's taking care of family members, mm-hmm. aging parents, yeah. siblings, etc. And so I think that what we're talking about here is this idea of women having it all is such bullshit to me because yeah. It just doesn't exist. And I think when we talk about balance, balance does not exist. Balance no. is bullshit. Yeah. What is real is integration. Yeah. And I keep company. We talk about three different set, like parts of a person, let's say, three three facets, your work, your family, and your personhood. Mm. And when mm. you say, what is the sacrifice? How are women doing it all? My, the first thought that I had when you said that is, oh, they're not doing it all. Yeah. The way they're doing family and work is by sacrificing self and not having the room to take care of themselves. Mm. And really that is what some of the loss of this is, I think, on a human soul level. There's a woman named Eve Rodsky that I am a super fan of. She wrote a book about the mental load called Fair Play and has a whole system. And she says, we need men to step into their full power at home so women can step into more of their power out in the world. And I think that's so at the heart of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. If women are sacrificing themselves, their passions, their interests, their creativity in service of being everything to work and to Mm -hmm. family, there is a loss to them. And there Mm -hmm. is a loss to all of us Mm -hmm. of having so many women walking around with untapped potential.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I keep thinking back to both when I was pregnant and then also when I'd given birth to the baby, Lily, my daughter, and then having to, as a top executive in the organization, I was able to call my own shots, right? I was able to shut my door and breastfeed my baby or pump. And I was able to make those decisions. But I think people that are lower down on the, on the power totem pole really do struggle to manage it all.
1: I think everyone does. Yeah. So, you know, I think what's interesting is only, you know, 30 percent of our members have kids under the age of two. And so we've talked to hundreds of people that are caring for a kid or a family member of all ages, conditions, situations, et cetera. And there are some themes in them. And I can tell you, it doesn't get easier as the kids get older. Your career gets bigger, work demands more. They say bigger kids, bigger problems, the complexities change. Mm -hmm. Everybody's hard is uniquely hard. And certainly there are some situations that are specific and different, but the themes are really consistent, which is, you know, are you able to ask for help? Are you able to take basic care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Are you able to have healthy boundaries? Those things are hard, no matter the stage of who you're caring for or the stage of your career.
0: Yeah. And I I think it's very interesting with all the movements that are happening right now with the Me Too movement. And obviously, the Roe v. Wade has just kicked in and there's outrage all over the world. And it is having some cause and effect within the workplace, I think, because, you know, still at the top, there are men, let's be honest you know, it was a man that I went into and apologized about being pregnant. And he actually was quite empathetic because we work for a global health organization that focuses on maternal health. So <laughs> it would have been odd if he wasn't. But there's still men at the top and they are making the decisions and they also don't really understand. But do you feel that these movements that are now in place are forcing top male executives to put certain policies in place? and? Is this an opportunity for your company to sort of move in and help them to think through strategies of keeping women, not not just top executives, but keeping women in, in their roles?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that's why we're doing this now. That's why we started the company this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because it feels like there is a moment. And I think, you know, I think a lot about the individual and then separately the systems. And I think like you're talking about executives and leadership but i think the change is coming bottoms up and top down so i think at the individual level what we're seeing is this wasn't really working before the pandemic (laughs) like this was hard for parents and caregivers like you had a baby before a panda a global pandemic and i am sure that that was incredibly difficult It was just a different kind of hard, right? Like, I think this was, you know, people were in survival mode far before the pandemic Mm -hmm. and juggling Mm. all of this stuff. What happened for the individual and the pandemic is that so much was stripped away. The mm. village was stripped away. Yeah, the, support the support systems were mm-hmm. stripped away. The, the distractions were si- stripped away the schools, like <laughs> the safety net. Yeah. Like yeah. you can go as, as literal or as metaphorical as you yeah. want, right? Like mm-hmm. it was all stripped away and you were left with no resources really yeah. for caring for yourself and caring for other people. And so after that, I think people are being more honest about how they're doing. The data shows that up to 70% of parents and caregivers have clinical levels of anxiety and depression. I think more people are talking about it. I think people are being more honest that they're having a hard time. And so I think a lot of like the distractions and the noise and the politeness around, oh, I'm how are you? I'm fine. I think a lot of that has been reduced. And I think that everything became more extreme. And so I think for individuals, you know, we've seen that women have left the workforce over the last two years in unprecedented numbers. The data says that in the first 12 months of the pandemic, the gender leadership gap got set back 36 years. So like the numbers are really overwhelming, right? And a lot of that is that they kept, you know, what we hear every day is the same language. I don't see a path forward. How do other people survive? They just got to a point where they were like, I cannot keep doing this. I either have to leave or have to figure out another path. And so that's what we're seeing at the individual level. At the company level, what we're seeing is this really interesting duality, which is on the one hand, they're spending more money than ever to retain and recruit top diverse talent, women and people of color, and they're losing them faster than they ever have. Because of the labor market, the great resignation, Mm -hmm. the great reshuffle, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm So we're seeing these dynamics on both ends. And Mm -hmm. what it feels like is fundamentally this relationship between employees and employers and what it means to work for somebody and what it means to take care of your team is changing. It's being renegotiated. And I think Roe heightens that. I think the pandemic has certainly heightened that. I think that this urgency to have more social consciousness on every level of how we work and live heightens that. And I think all of it is in service of making work actually work for people, Mm. because right now it definitely does not.
0: Oh, so many thoughts on this, including how mental health issues have surged during the pandemic and I think exposed mental health issues that were already there, right? And they have exasperated the amount of times that I have felt completely burnt out in my, yeah. you know, thirty-year career now. With feeling, you know, guilty when I took a break or a vacation, feeling guilty when I needed a day after a trip where I've flown to India and back within a week, and I, I just needed a day to recover and. The guilt, the guilt lying in the maternity ward, having just had my child and thinking the whole company is falling to pieces because I'm not there, you know? Yeah.
1: So I want to stop if I can. I actually just want to reflect something back, which is guilt assumes that people feel guilt when they think they're doing something bad, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. you feel guilt because you thought that something that you were doing on some level felt like it was bad. Mm. Shame is you think you're doing something bad. Therefore, you are bad. And so they're like different levels of the same emotion, right? Mm-hmm. On some level, the systems around you had made you feel like you were doing something bad by taking care of yourself. Mm. That is so profoundly it is. embedded into us yeah. that you are recovering from giving birth and mm-hmm. you are feeling guilt for doing that. Like that is so
0: Yeah, but it's so common.
1: It's not just common. (laughs) It is gravity in the world that we live in. And so Mm -hmm. that's why this idea that like you are not failing, you are being failed. You are not doing something bad. Something bad is happening around you where you don't have the support and the reverence and the skills to know that what you're doing is Mm -hmm. exceptionally difficult and should be treated as such. Instead, we're just supposed to pretend like it's not happening. Yeah,
0: But, you know, I'm, I'm currently watching the Victoria's Secret documentary on Hulu. And I would encourage everyone to watch it because, I mean, it's for so many reasons. But ultimately, a company's culture is about leadership. And if our leaders are practicing self-care, if our leaders are essentially giving you permission to have your own self-care, that is one of the major solutions. And I I do see it happening, not to the extent that it needs to, but I, I think they're being forced. They're being forced. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're being forced to find these solutions begrudgingly, right? They are begrudgingly like, oh, okay, we'll give paternity leave. Okay, well, build a breast pump center in our office. It's yeah, It's all begrudgingly. Where,
1: again, like I, we have to stop and just define what we're talking about, which is when people talk about self-care, there is this assumption that it is yoga, green juice, meditation. Yeah. I'm going to go a take massage. a trip. I'm going to yeah. go get a massage, right? Yeah. That is a hundred percent not what we're talking about. Yeah. We are take, talking about basic health. Mm. And so when you hear, oh, I need more self-care what people are often saying is, I need to sleep more than four hours a night. Or they're saying, I haven't had an hour alone to myself in three weeks. Mm -hmm. Or they're saying, I haven't been able to exercise or move my body Mm -hmm. or sit down for a proper meal. Like, we are not talking about indulgences. And so I hate this term self-care because I think it has been twisted into something that is not really what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about anxiety and depression mm-hmm. in parents and caregivers in particular. Mm-hmm. We are not saying that moms need a massage. We are saying that they need basic health care, yeah. that they need yeah. basic mental health support. But Claudia, mental
0: health, until really, really recently, mental health has not been considered health care. Mental yeah, health, like depression, anxiety, has a stigma to it that basically makes you look weak and people haven't felt comfortable literally saying okay i need a mental health day <laughs> right yeah. which apparently that exists now like we have mental health days which is amazing but you know nobody wants to admit that they're taking antidepressant medication or you know going to a therapist and it's gradually becoming a bit more mainstream but that really has been in the last few years Absolutely. You have to be able to go to your boss and say, I'm struggling. I'm suffering. I have depression. I have anxiety or I feel, you know, targeted in the workplace or I don't feel supported or I don't feel any gratitude. These are all things, again, that leaders need to adopt. And, you know, thank you for your work.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, top down and bottom up, right? Like top down, I think you are spot on which is that if leaders model healthy boundaries between work and home, if they model having what I call ambition, not just at work, but at home as well, like what does it mean to be ambitious in family? Like, We have this dismissiveness of people that want to spend time with family, want to invest in their home. And really what we should be saying is, no, they are ambitious at work and at home. Mm -hmm. They have an ambition to be a present father or to be an active mother. And to have ambition at work. And that should be something we have reverence for and respect Mm. for. I also think
0: our kids will become better humans as well. Like I do believe in, you know, when my daughter constantly says, well, I just want you to be a stay at home mom. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to look back on watching how hard I work and you will hopefully take that on for yourself because you're incredibly powerful as an individual and a woman to have huge impact around the world, right? So I like her seeing me, you know, go on work trips, do this, do that,
1: and that's you being authentic to you, right? Ultimately, you know, I I'm a coach. I grew up kind of in corporate companies, and then I was at startups for many years, and in the last couple years before founding Keep Company with my co-founder, Adrian, I was coaching other founders. And as a coach, the core of it is you want people to be in what they call conscious choice. When it comes to women at work in particular, my thing is, if you want to leave work, and you don't want to work, you want to be exclusively working in the home and not be working outside of the home. Amazing. I want it to be your choice, though, Mm -hmm. because what we're seeing right now is women are leaving work not because they want to, but because they feel they have to, because they feel like they don't see a path forward. I want you to be in choice about that. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me I am deprioritizing exercise right now because I'm choosing to focus on X, I'll say, great. If Mm -hmm. you tell me I am choosing to miss bedtime for the next three weeks because I'm prioritizing this project that I think is really meaningful and impactful and I need to do that right now. Amazing. I don't really care what people do. I just want them to be in choice about it because ultimately that is how we reach more of our potential. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, women represent so much untapped potential. And if they had just a little bit more resources, so much more would be possible all over the world and in our homes and Mm -hmm. in our communities because I know that's a value you and I share. But I think ultimately, like, if women want to leave work, they should, but it should be their choice. They shouldn't do it because they feel like they have no choice. And that's really what we're trying to give Mm -hmm. people the tools to do is to say, what is, that's what coaching is about, right? What is important to you? And what do you want more or less Mm -hmm. of in your life? And then take steps towards those things, Mm -hmm. because otherwise we're all just reacting to the world around us and being in reaction and not being strategic about our lives.
0: So, I, as I'm sure you have, have read the book, Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg. And I sort of read the book and listen, her message is good, right?
1: I should reread it. I haven't reread it in a while. Well, I read
0: half of it and then I put it down and I said, I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. (laughs) You know, here's a woman earning millions and millions of dollars every single year. Of course, she can lean in. But what about marginalized women, women who are working three jobs, have three, four kids at home, single mother. I mean, this is not realistic because they have to work or take unemployment benefit, right? Which we don't want them to do. So what are some of your theories on women with very limited resources can sort of follow your guidelines and some of your methods to find that work-life balance? I mean, is that impossible for this sector of women
1: I do think work-life balance is impossible in general. Like, I think the concept is bullshit and we need to rebrand it. So I'll just start by saying that, which is I believe in integration. And I think the difference is is really, it might sound nuanced, but it's actually really big, which is balance assumes static. It assumes that if you find it once, you have found it forever. Mm -hmm. It assumes that we have an input two inputs. And if we just set them right, quite perfectly, Mm -hmm. we could achieve this like idea of perfection or balance or like stasis. And I just don't think that that portrays the complexity of what we're talking about. So I believe in thinking about work. And obviously there are so many facets to a person, but if we try to really simplify it, we have the demands, the pushes and the pulls and the joy and the difficulty of work, of family and of self. And so in our groups, we we are a group coaching business. So in our groups, we do this. And we started doing it in our like weekly team meeting too. And it's been really impactful. So this is a really simple thing that you can do with a friend or three friends or your mom or your sister or your daughter or whatever it may be. And it really is rate right on a scale of one to 10, your work, your family, and your personhood. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is that there is an implicit accountability in just saying it out loud. Mm. And the idea for a lot of women of investing in personhood is kind of a revolutionary act because we are so focused on being everything at work and for family. And so if you say every week, my work is at an eight and my family is at a nine, I'm showing up for my family and my personhood is at a three if you report that out to a family member or friend for the third week in a row, there is something in you that says, I am going to take myself for a five minute walk. Mm. I am going to dance alone in my shower for 10 minutes. I'm going (laughs) to call my friend. Mm. I am going to slow down and eat my dinner rather than eating it while I'm rushing away. I'm going to start reading a book, whatever it is for you to invest in your personhood, whatever makes you feel more like you. The goal is not perfection. The goal is not balance. The goal is integration. So if you've been prioritizing work or family heavily, you have to pause and recognize that and then make a conscious choice to invest in your personhood for even if it's just five minutes. Mm. And I think that the tools we have to do that certainly vary depending on our circumstances. And again, bottoms up and top down, we need to give people the tools within themselves and the skill building and the resources and the support to be able to access more of of what is possible for them. Mm -hmm. But the idea that that does not come with Mm -hmm. systems change is preposterous. Like we need change. From the at the political level and the mm-hmm. social sector, we need change in terms of insurance. We like there yeah. are so many layers top down that need to change. Like I am focused on employers, I'm focused on companies. I think that is like the first piece that feels like there is a path forward there to make some change there. But certainly the idea that Roe doesn't affect this, the idea that the political structures around us don't affect. Our ability to access our potential is just not possible. Mm, So mm, we can mm -hmm. talk about individual agency forever. And I believe so much in what the individual human is capable of. If they have more support, more tools at any level, any person is capable Mm. of so much with a little bit more tools and a little bit more Mm -hmm. support. But systemically, that's not possible without change from the top down. It's just not.
0: So again, thank you for the work that you're doing with companies and for your own company and drive and your passion behind this. But I do want to share a story about the choice that I made. And I think this is going to help our listeners as well, because, you know, individuals are listening to this. And, you know, I always try to share my own story because it worked for me. So it might actually work for other people. But basically, you know, again, I was a top executive in a global organization doing incredible work, and I was so burnt out and had a young daughter. And I decided that, first of all, I had a, this incredible life coach who sat me down one day and said, OK, Kate, the first step, the first tool that we're going to use to help you figure out the rest of your life, the rest of your life of purpose, is you've got to choose four things that actually Are important to you. And the first was health. The second was family. The third was creativity. And the fourth was the people and relationships in my life. Nowhere in that was going off to speak at Davos or getting on a plane every week and going to the field or going to meetings that I thought would collapse if I didn't do it. So it was a really interesting exercise of really figuring out what was important to me. And then as you say, Claudia, building a strategy around your layers of happiness and purpose and how to go about that, whether you live on a dollar a day or a thousand dollars a day. You know, that is a great way of really figuring out your work life balance. And what came out of it for me was I realized I didn't want to be in the $600 million organization that I went to the office every single day from nine to seven. I didn't want that. I actually wanted to be at home, having my own company, making up my own rules, being the best leader that I could be was actually what I should be doing. But it took me taking a period of time, I took four months off. And sadly, I had a death in my immediate family, which forced me to do it. But having a little time off and reflecting on those four things that were important to me was life changing. And there's actually a really good book. You and I've talked about it, Claudia Ikigai. It's a great book. It talks about some of the tools and that you can use to really figure out your your happiness. And ikigai is the Japanese word for a long, happy, healthy life full of purpose, which is a great word, ikigai. I would recommend anybody listening to this to read the book. So between us, Claudia, you're looking after the companies and hopefully I can inspire some of the individuals.
1: Yeah, I think for us, it is the company via the individual, right? Like it is it is giving the individual tools and then giving the company tools. I think that I, there's something in what you said, which is at the heart of what we do, which is ultimately self-awareness and reconnecting with yourself. I think we are, particularly as women, really encouraged to be so tapped into what other people think, what will make other people comfortable, what will make other people uncomfortable, what somebody's interested in about you, what they're not interested, all of that. We're so tapped into focusing on other people. Mm. We are not encouraged to have that same curiosity about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think the heart of a lot of what we're talking about, about what makes work and life more sustainable is having more connection with yourself and more awareness about what is hard and easy for you and what gives you energy You talked about creativity. Clearly, that is something that gives you energy. And so you have to have discipline about accessing it because it's fuel for you. But Mm -hmm. the answer to that question is different. And I one of the things I hope for is that we encourage women earlier on to have curiosity about what gives them energy, because ultimately self-regulation, self-management is impossible without Mm -hmm. self-awareness and understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that for me kind of you you shared a bit about the process of becoming a mom for you for me it was an accelerator of growth it really forced me to go inward and tap back into who i am and what is important to me and what gives me energy because i think like so many women i had my son and i was obsessed with him and i thought he was the cutest thing that had ever happened mm-hmm. And also, all of a sudden, I felt so far away from myself. Mm. I kept having this feeling of like, where did I go? Yeah. And it took me a long time to come back to myself. Mm. And I Mm. think that the giving away of myself to him highlighted for me how much I had done that in my life giving away of myself and not protecting myself for me. Oh my God. I love that. I love that.
0: Giving away yourself. I love that. It is what we ask women to do though. It is. We
1: ask them to sacrifice themselves in service of others. Yeah. And you know what I think is sustainable? A version of work-life integration that actually leaves room for you. And that's ultimately what we're after, right? So for Mm. me, that was a process finding five minutes finding mm. an hour and having curiosity about what would fill me up and reconnect me to myself in those pockets and certainly like as your kid gets a little bit older you have access to a little bit more time possibly but the discipline to keep coming back to yourself mm. i think is really important and for me motherhood has accelerated that and mm. forced me to do a lot more work on myself because there's less time there's less distractions And so if I only have an hour, I better do with it something that will give me a lot of energy. Right. And it requires discipline for sure. But I think for me, it accelerated so much self-growth and allowed me to kind of encouraged me to heal a lot of stuff and Mm -hmm. learn a lot more about myself. And by the way, that is so that I can be the way you were talking about with Lily earlier. Like, It is so that we can be better parents, better models, better at work, but also it's just because we deserve it. Like, can we stop growing on behalf of other people and do it because we're worthy?
0: Well, I think it's not just about that, but that's a very good point. It's also about when you have that self-confidence and you're going out into the world and you're having impact, your children or your husbands or your partners or your parents even They'll look at that and be inspired. And sadly, we've come to the end of our podcast, but I want to actually leave you all with one thought. And somebody said to me once, Kate, everyone looks at you and thinks that you have the most confidence, have the most vision. You're a go-getter. You're this, you're that. You're the iron lady, you know? And he said, and it was a he, but where's your vulnerability? because your vulnerability will be your calling card now, at the stage you are in your career. Like, you've made it. You don't need to be tooting your own horn or getting people to respect you more. Like, you're there. But he's like, if you can practice vulnerability now, that is going to be the greatest thing that you can do. And it was really, really hard. It is really hard to say, I need help. I am struggling. It is hard. But I want to leave us this great discussion with that thought in mind. Claudia, thank you again for coming on the show and also giving us so much food for thought. You've made some incredible points and I wish you all the success with the company that you're about to embark on.
1: Thank you so much. Kate. I think ultimately, you know, and just another thought as we leave is we have gone out to companies, we started talking to companies and so many of the inroads to that are incredible successful women that have felt these pain points and are advocating on our behalf you included mm. and so it's been a really unexpected part of the of building keep company has been finding incredible women who are ambitious at home and at work mm. and want to be of service to other women count me in count me in. yeah i know <laughs> i know You're a champion. Thank you
0: so much. At The Body Agency, this is very, very important to us. So I'm looking forward to fleshing out what it can look like for us. All right, Claudia, take good care and best of luck. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body, and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much needed Dignity Kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a Dignity Kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code podcast 10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.